Last week on the Vantage Performance Podcast, we were looking at contracting to mining companies or, in fact, any big infrastructure-based company. How do you ensure you have a watertight contract that keeps both sides happy? And how do you ensure that you factored in all the risks and covered them in the contract? And, of course, getting the right costing for the job. That was one of the big takeouts from that discussion last week. But what if, even though you've done everything possible to get your contract right, what happens if something goes wrong. What you're delivering isn't what's set out in the contract. I mean, couldn't you face legal action from the contractee? And how do you avoid that? Well, to talk about that, I'm joined by Matt Bradbury. He's a partner at McCulloch Robertson, a lawyer specializing in infrastructure, construction, and engineering. Now, uh, Matt, I mean, we did talk about this last week, but briefly, obviously, the, the first thing is to avoid disputes by ensuring you, you've got the contract right in the first place. Yeah, most definitely, Phil. Contract certainty is definitely the thing that that everyone should be trying to achieve at the start of a project. We all know everyone's excited when a new project's released and um, are looking forward to the successful completion of the project, but it really does need to be documented so that everyone knows exactly what terms are contained and what everyone's obligations and rights are. Mm, easier said than done, of course. And I guess, I mean, there's, there's, you can never get it 100% right. No, you can't, but um, you can do your best to try and do so. Um, obviously, if you're a supplier or a contractor to the mining industry, you're never, all, you're never going to have the opportunity to get all of the terms that you want, but you can try and limit the risk and exposure that you might have, or indeed price that risk um, so that it reflects the risks that you're willing to take. Yeah, so you're not left out of pocket. But but some of those some of those risks obviously are are things that can affect the contract, particularly in terms of timing. So uh, I mean, delays are an obvious one. And when we're looking at the mining industry, uh, you know, and you're based in Queensland, so you know more about this than anyone. Changes, unforeseen uh, conditions in the weather, uh, natural disasters. There's a whole load of things that can that can go wrong that um, you know might not have been stipulated in the contract or or not your fault. Yeah, look, uh, a lot of the projects that we're encountering in Queensland, Western Australia and in, and indeed New South Wales presently, um, they're massive projects which have a large degree of risk from a design perspective and um, as new technology is evolving, mm. so is the design and so quite often what you tender on before the job commences is not actually what you're delivering. So you can see how parties can uh, find themselves in strife if they don't adequately price or the risk or indeed aren't across the specification with what they're building. But isn't it, I mean, there's, there's risk, I mean, the risk is one thing, but isn't there also that, you know, you have to have this job done by, by a certain date. If you haven't hit it by a certain date, you're in breach of contract. I mean, is, does, yeah. doesn't that make yourself liable to some sort of mitigating action? Yes, most definitely. Um, most of the projects have provision in there for liquidated damages, which is essentially an amount payable by the contractor or the supplier if they don't meet the critical deadline for which to deliver the project. And um, most times, uh, a lot of contractors will actually cap that liability at a percentage of the contract price, mm. as opposed to leaving it open-ended where it could be unliquidated damages, which is unlimited damages, so to speak, for late delivery. Right. And, if that, and that's fairly easy. I mean, most people are going to accept that if you write that into a contract that we need to put a cap on here. I mean, obviously, you're, if you're a small business, you need that cap because it could ruin you otherwise. 
Yeah, contract certainty is understood by most of the owners within the industry and they are amenable to having a cap on liability for liquidated damages. Um, but it also gives the owners certainty in terms of what that actual price will be should their project be delivered late and what they can levy from the contractor. And you mentioned about, uh, you know, technology changes. I mean, there's a lot that changes. I mean, particularly if you're talking about a contract that goes on for a long time. I mean, it's not just change in technology. I mean, the, a change in the economy, you know, even as we've seen in the mining industry, which means the scope of a project could very easily change. Um, and, you know, detrimentally to the to the contractor, I guess, you know, there might there, it might be half the size of what was originally intended. You've made a lot of early investment to try and deliver against that contract. Um, again, this, I guess, gets back to, to managing that element of risk. Or, I mean, I guess it's just how far can you go in terms of, uh, you know, how much you get paid back for the investment you made? Yeah, and look, we've seen it quite uh, a few years ago now where the price of steel increased by 80% in a six-month period. And mm. um, so, you know, clauses that deal with rise and fall for materials could be something that a supplier or a contractor look to have implemented in their contract. Um, similarly, how they stagger payment provisions, so whether it be on a monthly basis or indeed based on milestones being achieved. These are some of the ways in which people can actively manage the project and the contract terms and conditions so that they're not left out of pocket and, and hopefully at the end of the project not being in a substantive dispute. So, I mean, that's a good example, though, where price does increase so significantly. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we would have thought, you know, prices aren't going to change that much. But, but we're in a very fluid market these days and we are seeing, you know, the, the price of resources shift markedly. So... I mean, say it did increase 80%. You, you, would you have in the contract that, look, you know, if the cost of the, the materials goes up by that much, um, then the cost of our service to you is going to go up by that much? Or I would have thought the mining company is going to say, no, you've, you've got to share the hurt here. Uh, and, and we're not going to cover, you know, we're not, we're not going to take on board all that risk ourselves. You've got to take most of it. Yeah, it depends on the terms of the contract, but also the duration of the contract. So if you're entering into a long-term contract, you'd want to have a rise and fall provision. And mm. some of the uh, the more sophisticated contracts out there have you know, such provisions. However, uh, what we've tended to find is that um, in circumstances where the market changes or indeed the project changes, the contract model and the delivery model which was originally put in place will alter and it might go from being a lump sum or a hard dollar contract to a cost reimbursable model which works for all parties interests and and the best interests of the project and it does get back to as we spoke about last week it's it's who takes on the risk i mean you've got to agree that up front and i guess make sure that uh, for your part you're adequately covered by insurance yeah, insurance is a, is a major issue. Limits of liability as well, ensuring that um, if there was a, a catastrophic event occur on the project that, um, that you wouldn't be held liable for any flow-on effects from that event. Um, but you know, I, I reiterate that it's, it always gets back to that, that initial contract and having certainty and knowing what the potential risks for this project are right. within the scope. But something has gone wrong and the uh, the mining company or whatever company it is you're dealing with believes that you haven't delivered by the uh, letter of what was agreed in the contract 
uh, and they want to take some sort of action, how do you respond to that? Because you know, I mean, normally they're going to be a big company. You're not going to be quite such a big company. I mean, there's a there's a balance of power issue here, isn't there? I mean, they're going to they're going to have well paid lawyers working on their side if it gets to that level. Yeah, always. And um, what you know will tend to be the case is that parties need to look at things commercially. Um, uh, it, it might sound to my own detriment, but um, <laughs> what I find is that if the parties can resolve things commercially first and foremost, um, not only will the relationship be preserved, but it will avoid the need for unnecessary litigation, which doesn't just go on for months, but indeed years. Yeah, so when you're saying resolving it commercially, you mean let's let's agree a price outside what we agreed in the contract to try and uh, get us over this uh, over this disagreement. Yeah, there's without prejudice forums, which um, you know discussions can be had openly, and um, you'll find that the parties do need to work together on other projects, and there may be future work in place. So what they will do is have commercial discussions in an attempt to avoid litigation or other forms of dispute resolution. So what are the other forms? I mean, it's not just, a, I mean, if, if the commercial, if clearly that commercial approach isn't working and you don't want to pay too much in, in terms of lawyers, you don't want it to, to go through the courts, what are the other options open to you? Well, in Australia now, there's the security for payment legislation, which has been implemented in all states and territories of Australia. Um, so what that is is a rapid form of dispute resolution whereby parties can refer a payment dispute to an independent third-party adjudicator and that adjudication will generally take between 30 to 40 days to be resolved so it's quite attractive to the parties to try and have a quick and effective resolution to the matter and what we find is 80 percent of the time the parties won't go on and have any further litigation or other dispute after that adjudication. They stand by the adjudicator's dispute and get on with the project. Mm. Well, I guess, I mean, and if, you, if you're halfway through a contract, I mean, I guess your bargaining position is that you're halfway through a contract. I mean, you've, you've, you've started on some work. Presumably that work wants to be finished in, in some form or other. You might be arguing about the cost or the change of scope, but the company that's contracted you to do that work still needs that work done. And, and clearly you're the best pe- people to do it because you've already started it yeah that's that's correct um what we find is that parties will have those commercial discussions in the best interest of the project if the mining company was to get uh, an alternate contractor in quite often there'd be a premium attached with that uh, to try and replace the original contractor so it's generally in the best interest of all the parties the contractor and the owner to engage in negotiation and try and work through the, the problems of the project. So, I mean, you obviously only see the ones that are going uh, seriously awry, and I'm, I'm sure you help as well in making sure that the, the, the contracts are right in the first place, but in terms of any litigation, I just imagine it's a, a relatively small percentage of the total number of contracts, but, but in terms of contracts that have some form of dispute that might be sorted out by commercial arrangements, I, I'd imagine that the percentage of, of contracts that you know don't run exactly as originally intended, is pretty high. Yeah, that's right, Phil. Um, I, agree, I agree with that position. Um, a lot of the time there will be you know, issues encountered on the project, but I, I would say a large proportion of those are resolved and uh, it only seems to be the ones where the parties are at an impasse or the, the, pro- the project hasn't been delivered in the manner in which it was intended that uh, dispute resolution will eventuate at the end of the project. And Generally speaking, we'll see litigation at the end of the project, and it's very difficult um, to 
retrospectively um, determined the party's rights when quite often the project team is disbanded. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> in the current market where a lot of the engineers and project managers are quite mobile and transient. Yeah, where are they? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they may be on a project in, in Queensland one month, and then the uh, project concludes, and they'll be in Western Australia or through Southeast Asia. Yes, so, yeah, or South America, or who knows where they are. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, that's one of the attendant problems that we we often encounter. Yeah, so and a reason to try and get it from the mining company's point of view that, to try and get the issue resolved as quickly as possible, I guess. Yeah. And the the other thing is, I mean, it and it doesn't really matter what industry you're talking about here. If there's if ever there's a dispute. Uh, there's a tendency for the for the company, the the contractee, to say, right, look, while there's a dispute, you're not going to get paid, uh, and that can obviously create big cash flow problems. I mean, I, I, can they do that? Are they on safe ground to make that sort of uh, that sort of claim? It, it quite often is encountered. Um, what we see, though, is the security of payment legislation being utilised on projects because it's a rapid way of resolving disputes, mm. and those uh, that particular forum enables the contractor to be paid the money and then have the substantive dispute afterwards. So the cash flow continues down the contractual chain and uh, that's why the various state governments around Australia have implemented that legislation. It's a way of ensuring that the money keeps flowing down the chain because if any one party isn't paid, those subcontractors and suppliers below the contractor obviously being strung out for payment as well yeah yeah well look i mean as we keep on saying make sure you get it right the first time but it sounds like um something's bound to go wrong and uh, it, it is just common sense negotiation uh, rather than litigation that's going to pull you through in most cases yeah, and so there's a few things that you can do to ensure that your project stays on track. Um, you know, having the best records, for instance. Um, a lot of uh, engineers and project managers who we deal with like to go about building the project and, and leaving a legacy, mm. but um, quite often it's the paperwork at the end of the job which will actually be either the... Um, the deciding factor in terms of which party succeeds in a dispute. So having good records in terms of site diaries, responding to correspondence, putting notices in on time. Time bars seem to be the big thing that uh, we're seeing breached quite often under contracts. Right. And uh, the other thing is um, ensuring that uh, all communication that's sent is something that uh, you'd, you'd be pleased to stand behind in a court of law if it ever went that far. Right. Matt, makes perfect sense. Appreciate your time. No worries, Phil. Thank you.